Hello and welcome back to RocketPod. On today's show, we're joined by Simon Alexander Ong. Simon is a life coach, motivational speaker, and author, and really looking forward to diving in his entrepreneurial journey and seeing what wisdom he has for us today. Simon is a world-renowned life coach, has been interviewed by the BBC, Sky, and Forbes, and has also spoken or consulted with Google, Microsoft, and Salesforce, so some of the you know biggest blue-chip companies. What Simon brings is it's all about um, how to energize people and have them live their lives differently and really tap into their imagination. You know, I think your book, Energize, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, is really is having people live the best lives and, and also recognize the moments, these little moments that are really special. Simon, if you would like to perhaps start with maybe some of your upbringing, where, where, yeah. where did Simon come from? You know, what inspired the creation of this book? Just tell us a bit about your journey and maybe some of the, the key people that you've met along the way that has kind of led you to where you are now. Sure. Well, first of all, James, Harry, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Always a pleasure to connect with like-minded individuals. So I grew up here in the United Kingdom to two Malaysian Chinese parents who had emigrated for a better life and better education. And I was one of just a handful of Chinese students in the schools that I attended from a young boy up until my teenage period. With that, there were some benefits uh, and also drawbacks. The benefit was with a haircut like this, no one wanted to mess with me in a (laughs) period of time in which Bruce Lee films were all the rage. So by default, when you looked Chinese, they automatically assumed you knew Kung Fu. So that was a huge benefit growing up as a Chinese with a haircut like this, uh, which is all shaved uh, for those who aren't able to see this video. And the drawback was being part of a traditional Chinese family. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on academic achievement. And so I believed mistakenly that success was defined by my job title, be a banker, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant, very traditional roles Mm -hmm. that were stable and paid a decent salary. And so I followed the banking route. I went to the London School of Economics. And after that, I decided to go into the world of finance at probably the worst possible time. This was 2007, a year before the global financial crisis of 2008, and at a company called Lehman Brothers which collapsed into administration just 14 months after I started with the company. Wow! So a very volatile start to mm. uh, my career post-graduation. Now, while it was admittedly a, a very scary point in time in my life, because you have all these hopes, these dreams, these aspirations swept away from under your feet in a second, in hindsight, it was a beautiful blessing in disguise because that exposure to such volatility in my career early on meant that I began the path, the longest path, if you will, uh, that we humans make, the inches from our heads to our hearts. Mm. Never an easy one, but the most fulfilling and exciting that we will ever embark on. And so what I started to do was to ask myself questions such as, what did success mean to me? What did fulfillment look like? And what sort of impacts did I want to have in the world? Simple questions, but I think questions few of us actually spend time to really dig deep into. And I realized as I was digging deep into those questions that many of us are exhausted, not because we are doing too much, but because, first of all, we're doing too little of the things that make us feel alive and bring us joy. Mm -hmm. And second is because we are running somebody else's race. In my case, I was running the race of 
definitions created by those around me of what success meant rather than my own definition. Mm. And that's where this journey to what I do really began. I started exploring. I embraced the mindset of a scientist to conduct experiment after experiment to learn more about myself and deepen my wisdom and self-awareness. And that led me to coaching incredible individuals from Michelin star chefs to TV presenters, to entrepreneurs, to business leaders in the corporate world, to speaking at some of the planet's most successful companies. And more recently, one of the positives that came out of the COVID pandemic, apart from becoming a parent for the first time, was landing a book deal. Thank you so much. Was landing a book deal with the world's largest publishing house, Penguin. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And actually, I have to say, I did actually pre-order your book, I think back in (laughs) April last year. I think I'm I'm due due it soon, hopefully. Just a few more weeks to go now, James. Yeah, it was a long time ago. You because you've been launching for a while. Yeah, this this is one of the things I've come to understand as a debut author that the lead time is quite long. I mean, from pen to paper, it's coming up to two years now. Wow. Uh, since I I first started writing, and then of course a year before, the book goes up on Amazon, and so it's available for pre-order from that time. And then now, as we're heading into the final few weeks of launch, the intensity of marketing is starting to increase a lot now. Mm. Fantastic. So just to quickly just go back a little bit. So you mentioned from your head to your heart. Mm. um, And you mentioned the fact that there's these expectations that, you know, success is defined by other people. Um, And actually, just to share a little bit of um, some experience I had. So my, my daughter, Eva, when she was 14, nothing was really interesting to her. So I thought, you know what? I'd like to send her to private school. And there was an amazing private school, Arlingai College. I thought, you know what? She can board a few days a week and, you know, she can be exposed to fencing and tennis and all these other things that weren't available at her state school. And it was a big investment for, for my wife and for our family. Anyway, it didn't actually work, but she did six months and actually it just didn't fit. But what I learned from it is that the, the way that it was, the, the school was set up and a lot of private schools are like this, I guess. It's this, the, the lawyers, the accountants, the bankers, mm. and that works for a lot of people. Mm. And they were very academic, but almost the, the kids were groomed, you know, from a very, very early age to, mm. to do a 12-hour academic day. You know, Eva, you know, she was kind of finished in six hours and <laughs> she had never, ever missed her homework. But anyway, it didn't work. Um, and in the end, I had to yank her out and put her back in, in regular school. But mm. I think it just highlighted that expectation. And actually, even it doesn't matter what school you go to, but that the society as a, as a whole, mm. they do tell us what success is. But yeah, so your head to your heart, that's quite that kind of hit a nerve for me. And that, you know, and actually, this is probably a conversation for another time, but I was parenting with ego, maybe, because mm. I thought I knew what she wanted. She didn't want that. She was very unhappy and it was awful. And I was very humbling for me because I, you know, it was a total, it just didn't fit her. Um, but actually, then she shot to stardom at her regular school and it was all fine. And she doesn't, she doesn't hold, hold against me. She said it was the best thing she did. But anyway, sorry to digress there. It's just, it just but I think it is, it is fascinating, James, that you mentioned the word ego, because when I talk about that journey from my head to our heart, really, from a practical perspective, it is that journey from ego to humility. You know, ego is I know it all. Ego is why me when something doesn't go your way. Ego is like this career should work out because everyone else is doing well in it. Whereas when we transition towards humility, humility is like, who can I learn from? What lesson can I take from that experience, whether it worked out or it didn't? 
humility is understanding that it is not what happens to us, but it is how we respond to what happens mm. to us that is most important. Yeah. And when we make that journey, that is when I think an ocean of opportunity begins to open up for us in mm. every area of our life. Yeah. Interesting. And I guess, and then you talk about sort of starting to make that journey. And I think the points that you made around someone else's definition of success, I think that's a really great point there. And it's making sure to start focusing on the things that are, are fulfilling for you. And I think something you said before is the, the, the relationship between what is success and what is fulfillment. Mm. Um, so I guess if you could just touch a little bit more on that really as well. So obviously we want to pick what we feel is our journey to success, but what mm. is the comparison between success and fulfillment really? Definitely. So for me, there is a reason why I had two separate questions, one on success and one on fulfillment. And that is because they mean very different things. You can be successful in the eyes of others. You can be earning a lot of money. You can have the status. You can have the following. You can be working in recognized brands or companies. But if you are not happy on the inside, that isn't fulfillment. You mm. aren't fulfilled. And so if I look at my own journey, to many people, I was successful. I was working in a recognized company. I was in an industry that paid very well. I went to one of the most prestigious universities in the country. Mm -hmm. But yet inside, I, I didn't feel fulfilled. And for me, when you are not fulfilled, it is usually because you are going against the things that come more naturally to you. You are denying your potential mm -hmm. by hiding your talents. And that's why those two questions, what does success mean to me? What does fulfillment look like? Are important to sit and reflect on. And when we have uncovered the answers that we ourselves have defined, our greatest challenge is to then create a life around those answers. Absolutely. I think that's really interesting. And I guess for someone that is on this, like you said, you're going towards that what society wants you're thinking this is my route to success because it's the high paid job so for someone that maybe is on this cycle how do they identify that they are on that cycle then to realize to reflect and think okay what's truly going to make me fulfilled and then how do they start that path towards a more fulfilled life definitely well the first step i would say to anyone who wants to understand where they are on their own path and what must be addressed is first to slow down and to raise your level of self awareness because you cannot have self-development without self-awareness because you simply can't change what you're not aware of. So when we elevate our consciousness in understanding where we are right now in this moment of our life, we give ourselves an understanding of where ground zero is today. We can have all the goals, the dreams, and the visions planned out. But if we don't know where we're operating from, where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are, who we need to get in contact with who we need to help us, then those grand things will always remain a distant dream. And it's why one of the greatest activities we can do is simply the act of journaling, simply the act of writing down what is in our mind. It is an activity that sounds simple, but few of us have actually embraced it. One of the ladies that I actually interviewed for, for my book uh, goes, uh, her name is Diana Chow. She's based in the US and she launched the world's largest youth for youth nonprofit called Write, uh, Letters to Strangers. So otherwise known as L2S. Okay. And when she delivered a TED talk, she said to the audience, and for me, this was the greatest takeaway from her talk. It was a single sentence. And she said, writing is humanity distilled into ink. 
writing is humanity distilled into ink because in the process of downloading our thoughts onto paper it forces us to pause to reflect and write with intention and in that space it is as if you are pulling out a chair sitting down and having a conversation with your true self it is space for you to understand who you really are what you really want and what stands in your way and this nicely reflects back to what i said earlier about that longest journey being from our heads to our hearts because that is how we immerse ourselves in that journey when we raise our level of consciousness when we deepen our awareness that is the greatest first step because with that knowledge comes true wisdom but also the next step becomes clear and that is all we need that is all we need we just need to know the next step we don't need to know the next 10 20 or 30 steps because no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow mm-hmm. we just have to have clarity on what is that next step and then find the courage to take it it's in, it, that sparks something so it's an old fable and it's about a you may have heard of it it's about a beggar that's sitting on a box hope you know a poor person and and they're begging and this stranger walked by the beggar and they said they didn't give them any money but they said look under the box and the beggar looked under the box and it was full of gold and i guess the, the the analogy is it's well the um it's that we we often have all the answers inside of us they're they're all they're all there and actually something else so over christmas um i spent hours researching an e-ink uh, tablet it was a rem- remarkable too and i ended up going with the boops but it was like how can i you know organize my my writing and actually i I've, i've completely changed you talk about journaling i've completely mm. changed the way that i'm working and it goes onto my e-ink pad first and then it gets anyway and it's just been the the whole process is is different than type so you know it's really so you also mentioned slowing down and before you joined Simon I, I I had a call with Harry this morning and I said I would actually like to ask you a little bit about quietening our lives and and I didn't say slow down did I Harry but I no. it was it was along the same themes because mm-hmm. quite often we're we're so busy mm-hmm. um just running from one thing to the next Um can you talk a little bit about the slowing down piece and that self awareness it's probably well the way you described it it is linked with that can you just talk about sure that touch so, of I I often say that slowing down is a superpower especially in the world today that is increasingly distracted and that is because if you go back decades uh before the internet uh before we had all this social media when we talked about somebody's IQ it was the knowledge that they had so you could ask some questions such as what happened in this year mm-hmm. how did this person came to power they would be able to tell you the answers to these general knowledge questions now as time has gone on and all of that information is now at our fingertips iq is less about what you know but ultimately your ability to focus mm-hmm. are you able to focus in a world in which people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter and this is where slowing down comes in the very act of slowing down is actually every entrepreneurs and leaders and anyone in fact who is ambitious it is their greatest challenge because we feel as part of again society's definition that in order to be productive we have to be busy we have to be doing something Mm-hmm. and in the process of always doing we forget to simply just be and from my experience simply being with intention mm-hmm. can actually be just as productive as the doing 
Mm -hmm. So I will share with you a couple of anecdotes just to illustrate how, how powerful slowing down can be. I don't know if these are true, by the way, but I think regardless, there is like a lot a of wisdom in them. So the first one, Isaac Newton has his breakthrough about gravity, not from sitting in front of his desk, but by sitting underneath a tree and getting hit by an apple. Archimedes has his insight about displacement theory while lying in a bath. Eureka! He jumps out and runs naked through the street through that insight that he had. Thomas Edison, at the height of his career, would go to his local lake to fish without bait. So no one, not even the fish, would disturb him. And that would allow him to slow down, for his mind to connect the dots, inspiration to be born and insights to awaken. More recently, James Dyson of Dyson company who created hoovers and hand dryers, he is often noted for shutting himself in a room with blank pieces of paper to just see what comes out of his mind through doodling and through sketching and illustration. And that's where many of his ideas were born. So again, I don't know if all of these stories are true, but they are anecdotes that many of us have come to believe, but I think there is wisdom to be had in them. It is why for us, when we go on a nice holiday to somewhere exotic, that is often when we have our creative breakthroughs. We come back full of ideas. We come back with full of motivation to want to try new things. So for me, slowing down is just as important as the doing. And when we can marry the two together, we have days in which we have periods of deep work, but also intentional rest. That is how we leverage what I call energetic flow. I just went on a holiday, first one in three years. That's why I got a bit of a tan. <laughs> got to mention the tan. And actually, the, the day three, it was like a fizzy soda drink. All these thoughts were bubbling up and I was batting them away. I actually locked my phone in the drawer, which I never do. I literally <laughs> just, I just buried it. I didn't even look at any emails, nothing, which I've never done. But the thoughts came up and I'd like bat that one, bat that one, say, oh, I'll keep that one. And then I did, I mapped out the next, well, okay, three years, you know, some goals, but actually they're more about me. So I think for all, for those listeners out there that haven't taken a holiday, I think a lot of what Simon said, it's true, you know, you, mm. you have some really critical, it's critical thinking. Yeah. Um, and, and actually it did help with self-awareness and I've actually changed a lot of my priorities as a result. That's 10 days. Yeah. Um, and okay, it would have been nice. If it was a bit longer, but actually, ten days was was enough. Um, no, so thanks for sharing with that, Simon. Thank My you. pleasure. And, and you know, if I to, if I had to use an analogy, it's like every day we we wash our bodies when we shower or when we take a bath. Mm. But how often do we wash our minds? Mm. Usually, what we do is we still carry the baggage of yesterday, the anxiety of the future, mm. that we're not actually in the present. And slowing down isn't just about taking a holiday, meditating and, yeah. and disconnecting. It's also about living in the present moment to be absolutely engaged in what is going on around you. When one of Michael Jordan's coaches was interviewed, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix show, uh, The Last Dance, uh, it's a fantastic TV documentary, and it charts the rise uh, of the Chicago Bulls basketball team uh, during Michael Jordan's years. And one of his coaches was interviewed during this documentary and asked what made Michael different to his competitors and his colleagues that made Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. And he said, well, it wasn't because Michael was taller than anybody. 
most bas- basketball players at all anyway. It wasn't that he was harder working. Everybody worked hard on, on, on the court. And it wasn't that he was faster than anyone. His secret power was that he was absolutely present in mm. every game that he played. When asked if he would make the next shot, he would often say, I don't know because I'm concentrated on the present one. Mm. He forgot about the last shot. He didn't know what would happen on the next shot. He was absolutely present in, in that moment. And when we look at many of our lives, we are hurtling towards a tragic scenario. So many of us are very quickly hurtling towards this tragic scenario of living as if we're never going to die and then dying having never really lived. Oh, wow. And that's that is because yeah, we're neither great. in the future, we're neither in the present, we're neither in the past, but because we're nowhere, we don't mm. get to enjoy the moments of wonder in this very second. Yeah, I think that's a, 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 an amazing point. And I love that, that quote there. And I think that slowing down and being present is, mm. is what everybody seems to be missing. They're always sort of hurtling towards that, that, seem, <laughs> that constant goal that then you may reach and it keeps pushing and you just keep going and going and going and like you say you'll eventually get to that point where your time is up and you're thinking well where was i've just been running towards this goal and people the amount of people i've found that have got there and then they've really thought oh that wasn't quite what i expected but they've spent that last (laughs) 10 years just hurtling towards it's not enjoying those 10 years and now they're 10 years older and sort of thinking well where was the exactly we said there they weren't present in that journey so exactly and i think when i talk about energy this is exactly it is People may say, I spent the weekend uh, with my family or I went on a date with my partner last night for two hours. Well, my question to them is the time is great, but how much energy did they have of you Mm. in that weekend and those two hours? That is most important because the greatest gift that we can give other people is simply the gift of our presence and energy. Mm -hmm. So when we are speaking to them, When we are with them, we are with them. We are there in that moment. Because that quality time, that is what people remember. It's that they've been listened to, they've been supported, and there is a space in which you are sharing with them. Think how it feels if you are in a conversation and the person that you are speaking to is on and off looking at their phone. Mm. How would that make you feel? You know what? It's So I have three teenage daughters a 14 year old, a 16 year old. And my, my eldest has now turned 18. And um, so I guess, you know, in, I guess he's an adult now or young adult. And I think, you know, entrepreneurship, there's always cost hmm. to, you know, whatever, however we choose to, I guess, conduct our lives that there, there is, well, there, there was, it was, it's huge cost to be an entrepreneur with, with a family. And I think it actually makes me feel quite emotional. Actually. Um, I think some of the failures of the parent is that I haven't, I've been there physically, but mentally I've been somewhere else and it's been, you know, I'm, I'm not aware of it, but I wasn't aware of it, you know? Um, and you know, it's just that, that, that present moment is so powerful um, and so important. And, you know, it's like, it's right in front of you. It sounds so simple, but yet we're all, I mean, I, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but, you know, we do have a lot of distractions, uh, mm. you know, and what's really important, you know, and it's, uh, you know, a lot of the, the people that our family and our friends that we, you know, we, we, we maybe neglect a little bit, but anyway, I'm, they, they tell me I'm a great dad, but I, <laughs> I could just see, but I, you know, it's just, it's a wake up call. I've had a wake up mm-hmm. call recently. Um, and I don't, you know, and I've still got time. Well, James, I, I think 
the very fact that you're aware of it is is incredible and i resonate with a lot of what you share because i became a parent for the first time as you know during covid uh, our our daughter is nearly two now wow and people have often asked me simon that must be a lot for you to manage being an entrepreneur as well and i'm curious how has that impacted your productivity and i admitted that yes obviously things have had to change in terms of how i manage my diary and and my schedule but actually it has made me unexpectedly more productive than I was before I was a parent. And I say to them, here's why. Because before I was a parent, I could be working all the hours in the day. Uh, and that is not good for our health. It can exhaust us. It can make us tired. Now I've got a child. I know that between X and Y during the day, she is going to be a nursery. And when she comes home, I want to be present with her. So knowing that I've only got that window mm-hmm. to get work done, yep. it actually challenges me to question yep. what my priorities are. Mm-hmm. If I can only get three things done in the next six or seven hours, what would those three things be that would move me forward the most? Mm. And yep. once I've got that done, when I spend time with my family and my daughter, I don't feel guilty. And you're more and energized. So actually, <laughs> indeed, I'm more energized. And, yeah. and it, uh, it actually gets me focused. And I think this is the idea of having a deadline. When you have a deadline and a limited time, yeah. it actually increases your productivity because now you know the constraints you're working with. When there are no constraints, we tend to procrastinate yeah. and we end up doing it right at the 11th hour in order to get it over the line. Yeah. Now, it's, it's really wonderful uh, having this conversation but, you know, being present is so important, you know, and uh, yeah, if I can save someone, you know, the, the same mistake. I mean, you know, it's we're, we're all human. And actually, that's what makes us, I guess, beautiful in a sense is that we're all we're all imperfect. But I think just being mm-hmm. aware and and actually, I, I, I love the time constraint thing because it's the 80 20 rule, isn't it? Pareto's law, you know, <laughs> what's going to give you 80 percent of the results with 20 percent or, you know, um, mm-hmm. so that, that prioritization. But you know, to your point, if you're if you're aware, then you're going to be more focused on actually what is important, mm. what is going to move the mm-hmm. needle. Um, and you can't do everything. Let's face it. You know, um, you might. Re- so as far as how do you operate? So goals and list writing. And do you have any tips around? I mean, there's these never ending to do's. Um, you're never going to get them all done. Mm. How do you conduct your business? Do you write lists? Do you set out? Is it desired business out or desired outcomes? Is it a journey? Can you give any insight? Sure. So if I work from the vision first, so what I have is uh, I set a bold vision, uh, which has no time uh, sort of uh, scope around it. That's sort of a very long-term thing. Like an outcome. Exactly. So so how do I want to be remembered, for example? So I'm looking at my lifetime as a whole. Mm -hmm. So when I pass from this world, how do I want to be remembered, which I think is a great exercise to do. Mm -hmm. And so I just plot out all the things I want to be remembered for. And then I work backwards. I go, well, in order to be remembered for these things, what do I want to do with my life? And that's where the goals start to come out. So then I I come up with a series of goals and then I work backwards again. Looking at this year, uh, if I just look at the first 90 days, so I do it by 90 day sprints. uh, If I look at the first 90 days, what areas would be most important for me to focus on in this section to help me move forward? So for example, in the first 90 days of 2022, clearly one of the most important themes is my book. Mm 
Hmm. So that would dictate a lot more of what I do day to day and week to week mm -hmm. uh, than say the second quarter of this year when my book has already been published. Uh, and then I just create a series of points that I need to address. And as I plan each week and day, I will refer to that and pull out a couple of points to address each day, knowing that I can't do everything. Okay. And I think this is where we fall into the trap when we do to-do lists. We write a to-do list and then we keep adding and adding and adding and adding to it that mm -hmm. actually we never get to tick them off. But if we just put a couple of points on and say to ourselves, well, if I finish those couple of points ahead of time, then maybe I'll go and have a look at other points that I can address. Otherwise, I would just step back, enjoy the rest of the day, have some downtime, catch up with some reading and do other things that will help me improve as a person. So when you pick a point, mm -hmm. do you then break it down into steps within that point? So yes. the points I'm talking about are themselves steps. So I'll give an example. So one of my points could be reach out to this company to discuss speaking around my book in a fireside chat. So that could be one point. And I might say, well, I'm due to catch up with this person on Thursday. So I'm going to drop that into the Thursday slot because then I can raise that with them. Nice. So these points are all action-based. And, and that is key for me is that when you have your series of points, make them action-based and specific because often we write them at a very high level that when we actually start to do them, we're like, wow, that's a lot more work than I realized. So a point that many of us would write down is write that article. Now that is very high level. <laughs> if the article is, the article could be as long as 4,000 words or as short as 600 words, but depending on the length, you've then got to do the research. You've then got to sketch out the structure of the article. You then got to actually write the thing, get it edited. And so you want to break it down to very small action points that then you can go, okay, Monday, I'm going to do the research I need to get the article done. Once I've done that, then maybe by Thursday, I would then start laying out the structure. So then I can tick that off because it's very specific yep. and yep. I know what I've got to do. Okay. The reason we put our things on our to-do list is because it can seem overwhelming. Write that article sounds a lot more overwhelming than simply research a few sources for the article. Mm -hmm. And so when we break it down to very simple mini steps, it becomes more motivating to tick them off and get them followed through with. I think this would be a good segue to introduce our sponsor, Flexi. I'd like to take a moment uh, to introduce you to our amazing sponsor, Flexi. These days, we have multiple subscriptions from streaming services to gift boxes and much more. Discover Flexi's unique subscription marketplace sourced from independent British brands, from organic beauty products, cocktail kits, and responsibly sourced coffee to plant-based meals, gift boxes, and much more. Whatever your passion, Look forward to a regular box of joy delivered straight to your door. All easy to pause, cancel, or resume in a tap or two from one single dashboard. So give Flexi a try. It's free to download from the App Store or head over to www.flexiapp.uk. That's F-L-E-X-Y-A-P-P dot U-K. Now, back to our guest. Do you ever prioritize your, the, the items via the amount of energy you have? So like writing an article yeah. would require maybe quite a lot of mental capacity to actually be creative. Whereas, you know, writing an email, you know, might not require as much energy. So um, <laughs> you, you know, as far as this energy piece, you know, do you definitely. pick, I guess it, maybe that's just common sense. I don't know. but Definitely. Well, one of the, if I sort of loop back to self-awareness, 
and we all have different energy levels. So what I do is I simply listen to my own energy levels. So for many of us, we tend to have our highest energy first thing in the morning. As we go through the day, naturally our energy levels will start to drop after lunch and into the evening. So if that is your energy profile, again, we're all different. Some people energy kicks up in the evening and I guess we call them night owls. But if your energy profile follows the first, i.e. high in the morning, starts to decline as the day goes on, then that gives you the insight that if you are going to do something that is going to require the most energy, you do that first thing in the morning. Mm. But in order to leverage that high energy period, you must plan your day the night before. Okay. You must okay. plan your day the night before because planning your day takes little energy. You've just got to sit down and say, okay, how do I want to, how will I know that the next day will have been productive? And then you lay out your priorities so that when the next day starts, you can get stuck in straight away with mm. the item that requires the most energy rather than leaking away your energy to things that actually don't need your energy right now. So most of us actually whip out our smartphone first thing in the morning. We go through emails, we look at news, we look through social media news feeds, and then our energy is already all sapped before we've even done the very yeah. task that needs yeah. our energy. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we put off the task till later in the day and then tomorrow, next month, next year, maybe never. I have some incredible points that I'm actually going to, I've made a note to action straight after this. I think that I've got, <laughs> I've, I'm, I've got that endless to-do list that it's constantly just adding on and on and on. Mm. And I think, like you say, pull that one point. And I even thought about individual small mm. breakdown tasks. So if the goal is to, I don't know, let's like say reach out to someone, it's instead of mm. just that as the big goal, it's, it's breaking that down into do a little bit of research and then set all those sort of things, which I think makes it more achievable. And you've got that satisfaction of maybe ticking it off as well, which a lot of people do like still. Definitely, um, definitely. And, uh, and here's another thought, a bit left field to consider and something I embrace. We, we've spoken about a to-do list. Here's something to think about. How about a not-to-do list? <laughs> so with a not-to-do list, you write down and you don't, you don't need a lot because you want to be able to remember them. A not-to-do list is around eight to 10 activities that you commit to not doing mm -hmm. because what I've realized is that to make meaningful progress in any area of our life, often it's not about doing more, but it's about stopping the behaviors that are holding us back, mm -hmm. giving ourselves the space for what is most important. So to give you an example, for me, I have on my not to do list at the moment, given my circumstance, work on weekends. Mm -hmm. So work on weekends is a not to do list. If something causes that to change i would only do it in the evening when my child is asleep so i would catch up on that in the evening but otherwise it's on my not to-do list mm. so you can have a think now well what are the things that i can have on my not to-do list that would give me the space to actually focus on what is most important and there's a great story of a client i have in which she created her own not to-do list and one of those items helped her to perform even better at work and I remember following up on this, it came from an article in which she was reviewed as one of the best performing fund managers uh, of the previous year. And I said to her, I'm curious, what changed? I mean, you were already doing fairly well in terms of your performance in your return in the prior years, but specifically in the last year, you've outperformed the competition. I'm curious what changed, if anything changed um, in how you approach work. And she said, well, Simon, it was becoming a mother because when I put together that not to do list, one of those items was 
I am not going to be in the office after five in the evening. Whereas before I would stay in the office late to review that decision. Should I invest in that company? Should I take out some investment in that stock? Now that I had a child, I was a mother and I said, I'm not going to be in the office after five. It meant with that shorter time, I had to be more decisive. I trusted myself more. And it goes back to what I shared about being more productive, becoming a parent. Now you have a fixed deadline. You have a time frame suddenly it forces you to be more decisive but also trust your gut more i think not pick not uh yeah thank you simon I, I think not not looking at your phone first thing in the morning is a good one that's a good <laughs> not to do or before uh, you go to bed <laughs> i think I'm that's another that. one yeah and i think that also that that social media thing like one thing that i've it's, i think that the not to do list one is a very an interesting one because you you sort of have your things you're going to do but there's things that are interfering <laughs> like social media for one and, and all of these different things that, are, that sort of end up creeping in and you, you don't actively think that that's influencing sort of um sort of your day-to-day and your productivity mm. and that sort of thing um and actually one thing i wanted to quickly jump back to a little bit is you mentioned journaling a little while back mm. um and it's something that i started doing it on and off i want to be more sort of religious consistent with it but for those that maybe look to get into journaling what are the sort of the points that you're trying to draw out of your head onto this paper during this 10 minute 15 minute session in the morning or evening um yeah if you could just go into that that'd be great yeah sure so the first thing to say about journaling is there's no right or wrong way uh we we all operate differently some of us we need prompts some of us we just write down whatever's in our minds uh some of us will write a few lines some will write pages uh so the first thing is not to not to have undue pressure on doing journaling a certain way and if you've not done it before what can help Uh, is simply putting together a few questions that you can use as prompts. And over time, you will have your own prompts. So when I first started, I simply Googled uh, journaling questions, um, and there were so many resources online. So I would just pick a series of questions that I found on Google, and I would reflect on those questions uh, each day and week. And over time, I, I just end up journaling in my own way. And that's sort of taking lessons I've learned from other people who journal really well, mm-hmm. uh, from TED Talks to YouTube videos to seminars I've been on. And I take what resonates with me and blend it into my own approach. So I think with regards to journaling, like with any habit, start small. Um, mm-hmm. Many of us complain about time. Ultimately, you know that if it means something to you, you will make the time for it. But just to hedge against that, just give yourself five minutes to write whatever comes to your mind. If you need prompts, Google some prompts, but just five minutes. We can all spend five minutes, even if it's on your commute, even if it's just before you go to bed, five mm-hmm. minutes just to write down what is on your mind. And I, I promise you that when you start embracing that habit, your mind will feel a lot emptier and more focused. So what would you say your, if there was one habit that you've, you've um picked up in the last five years simon what what habit has what what's your number one habit that you've implemented into your life in the let's say five years i mean maybe that's too long but i thought (laughs) (laughs) well if if i talk about habit that has helped me the most in my uh entrepreneurial career from from being an employee to an entrepreneur i'm going to share two one is personal habit and the second is a professional habit okay so the personal habit is is exercise. It's as simple as that because when I was in the corporate world in the financial industry, as you can imagine, it was very long hours, a lot of client entertainment. And because of that lifestyle, 
I was eating junk. I, I was eating takeaway food. I wasn't exercising. Uh, in fact, the only thing I was exercising was my arm knocking back beer bottles and, and, and shots. <laughs> and, and so that was a very unhealthy lifestyle. So when I transitioned out of that, I began to address the physical aspects of my health. And so I started to get more rest. I, I moved my body more. And this is where exercise came in. When I started to move my body more, it started to influence every other aspect of my health. I ate better. I slept better. I was more aware about what was sapping me of energy and giving me energy. Mm. And what I came to realize, as many of us do, is you may not always want to go for a workout today, but I guarantee that once you've done it, you never regret it because the feeling that you get after the endorphins that are rushing through your body puts your mind in a state that is ready to take on whatever challenges the day may throw your way. So for me, a personal habit is daily exercise. Again, no matter how small, even just a jog around the block outside constitutes as exercise, Mm -hmm. but you just have to be consistent with it to see the results. The professional habit that has had the greatest impact on my journey to date has been expanding my network and nurturing it every single week. So every week I'm looking for ways to connect with new people, uh, to see how I can add value to them, how I can create new partnerships, how I can learn from one another. And that has been the greatest habit, I think, for from a professional perspective. It has meant that I have been able to get endorsements for my book from the likes of Simon Sinek, Marie Folio, Keith Ferrazzi, some New York Times bestselling authors. Uh, I've been able to partner with Andrea McLean for events this year, Andrea McLean being the former host of ITV's Loose Women. And all of that has come from being proactive mm-hmm. about building relationships. Mm. You know, in the business world, people talk about, is it more what you know or who you know? For me, it's both. If you, if you have a great product, and the service, but people don't know about it, then you're just going to have a hobby. If people know about you, but you've got a rubbish product and service, people will very quickly find out. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a great product or service and you're great at building a network and cultivating relationships, you've got a fantastic foundation to grow from. That's excellent. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I also think that point about consistency as well is is so key to all of these habits you're mentioning. It's like, Mm. if you don't, and also a lot pulling in that word presence as well. If, if you're present when you're writing your journal, you're thinking about it. You, you, you take that five minutes and you mm. do it properly, then it will feel over the period of time when you consistently do it, you'll really start to feel the effects of this mm. new habit. Whereas if you sort of quickly grab the book, write it down, boom, onto the next thing, you're just going, 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 mm. maybe a quick five minute. And then if you're doing these things properly and you're present with them, then you really will start to see the effects and, and the positive impacts on, mm. on your life. Um, and I guess the other thing that kind of springs to mind is that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. So, you know, mm. if you can in- implement one, you know, one good habit or one not to do mm. list or, yeah. you know, um, you've got your whole, well, I guess we don't know how long we've got um, in life, but um, you know, it's a journey, isn't it? So it's just mm-hmm. recognizing the little things. Um, these, these little habits, there was, um, there's a book called um, the slight edge by Jeff Olson. Have you read that Simon? Um, I've not, but I'm going to add it to my reading list. Now. Yeah. So ba- the first one I read was a guy called Darren Hardy called the compound effect. Yeah. Um, but then I found out that Darren Hardy's mentor was Jeff Olson. Hmm. So I read Darren Hardy's book for it then. And it's basically what was talking about the things that are easy to do 
easy to do but also easy not to do mm-hmm. so like um you know if you between a snicker and an apple they're both easy mm-hmm. decisions but mm-hmm. and it's like there's there's the compound effect and the habits and and i, I really mm. like that um, definitely and i think if we if, if we break it down to very simple steps even if and here's just to put in perspective even if you only do one thing a day that will move you forward so no more even just one thing in a year that is 365 steps forward imagine where you could be and that's it we'll Mm -hmm. just talk about one thing here now of course if you do more than one thing a day you'll go quicker but just one thing a day is 365 steps forward and that's what we forget that's what we forget is that consistency always beats intensity consistency always beats intensity and so even if it's just one step going forward that's going to compound over time mm-hmm. yeah and if you're self-aware and you're in the moment then mm. the thing that you decide to do is going to be the one that's going to give you the biggest benefit mm-hmm. so you you're focusing on the, that 20 percent that's going to give mm. you all the yeah you know, that's going to give you the 80 percent. so and that's where that mindfulness comes in and that's why it's good to slow down because it mm. it's all it all, all helps um yes, actually what one, one um so just quickly so one habit that i picked up from darren hardy's book mm. was reading 10 pages of a non-fiction book every day mm. um, and i've done that so i i did i i put that in place in 2010 and i okay i've fallen off the wagon a few times but pretty much I've done that um, and it's changed my life. Mm. That's just one thing. Yeah. So anyway, just thought I'd share it with our listeners. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. Totally. And I think what can help actually when we talk about habits, you know, deep down, we all know what are the habits we must embrace and the habits we need to do less of. But I think in order to make that easier for us, we have to reframe what we associate as pain and pleasure. So for example, if we associate eating uh, a McDonald's meal as pleasure and eating something healthy as pain, then of course our default thinking when we need something to eat would be the junk food. Mm -hmm. But if we reframe that association and connect the junk food with pain and the healthier plate of food with pleasure, suddenly Mm -hmm. we rewire the way our brain works and sees the options that are presented in front of us. I mean, yeah such a great way of thinking about it yeah it's uh, definitely a lot to reflect on um, and actually on the topic of books I'd love I mean, we are running out of time but I'd love you to quickly just share with our audience what you've got well about your book and that's going to be releasing very soon so just tell us a quick bit about that maybe a quick summary of what it's all about and, and where obviously people can start to pre-order and, and buy the book perfect thank you so much for the opportunity the book is called Energize and it will be released at the end of April here in the UK and you can pre-order it now at getenergizedbook.com. That is energized with a Z. So getenergizedbook.com. And really what I speak about in that book is that we can transform the way we live and work by transforming our energy. Now, when I talk about energy, I'm talking about it from a physical, a mental, an emotional, and a spiritual perspective. Because what we come to realize is that energy is everything. I mean, In religion, they call it spirit. In science, they call it energy. In the streets, they call it vibes. Whatever we're talking about, we're regarding the very same thing. And when we can start to awaken, nurture, protect, and supercharge our very own life force of energy, we begin to rip open that hero potential 
that awaits us within. What an excellent summary. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, we're actually looking at the time. We have already hit an hour now, so we do need to start thinking about wrapping up. But a few just final things, I guess. We like to leave one sort of final piece of advice for our listeners, whether it's pulling in something you've learned or whether it's something from the book or something we've even discussed today. What would be some sort of final message you would leave to our listeners following today's chat? Sure. Well, I think a great final message would be a lesson that I learned back in when I was 19 years old. Uh, when I was 19 years old, uh, I remember being called into the headmaster's office at school, which is never mm -hmm. a good thing because whenever that <laughs> happens, typically it's because of bad behavior or you've been in trouble uh, in some way. Uh, I, I went to his office and I remember he saying to me, Simon, I want you to take the rest of the week off school. And he followed up by saying, your mom has unfortunately slipped into a coma and we don't know if uh, she's going to make it. A tragic accident happened and uh, your dad is waiting outside to take you to the hospital. So I went along there with, with my brother and a few days later, uh, she unfortunately didn't make it. So just before her 50th birthday, she passed and very unexpectedly, we were arranging her funeral arrangements uh, in the weeks following. Yeah. Now, as you can imagine, as a 19 year old, uh, that teaches you a lot of life lessons in a very short space of time. But the one that has stuck with me since then uh, has been two words that I want to leave uh, this show on. And those two words are don't wait, don't wait. When we begin to fully embrace those two words, it becomes our greatest antidote to regret and sets us on the path towards our own fulfillment. Don't mm. wait. Thank you for That's sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, lots to think about there. And I guess just one final thing from me for our listeners that do want to follow your journey, whether it be social media or, or even coaching, um, where can they find you, whether that be online, offline? Sure. So you can head over to my website, simonalexanderong.com. Or if you're on social media, the two platforms I am most active on is LinkedIn and Instagram. My handle on Instagram is at Simon Alexander O. Perfect. Fantastic. And is there a, I know obviously your book is great. Fantastic. We can't wait to read it. But is there a book that you'd recommend our listeners to pick up? Any book that's made an impact on you and your journey? Sure. So I get asked this question a lot. And the three that always come top of my mind are firstly, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. Okay. An incredible book. Uh, if you're anything like me, you'll finish it in one sitting uh, because it's not a long book. It's a short book, but it's around a parable with some principles uh, within the story. The second book is by the author Brianna Wiest. Uh, she writes some incredible things. And the book is The Mountain Is You. Every time I read her work, whether it's on Instagram or through her books, it's almost as if her words are speaking to my soul. And the third one is actually two books, but they're part of the same uh, title because it's volume one and volume two. And it is called The Teachings of Billionaire Yen Zhu by the author Colin Turner. Mm. And the reason I like that book is not just because of my, my, my Eastern background, uh, but because it's written in a very unique way. So each chapter begins with a Eastern parable, Eastern story. And then the rest of the chapter extracts the lessons through bullet point format. Hmm. So you can easily pick up the book, you know, flip to any page and land on something profound. So those will be my three book recommendations. Fantastic. And i got one final question. If you were to have a coffee with anybody, who would that coffee be with? Dead or alive? Well, let's just say living. 
because then you know, we've got a chance. We, you know, if we find an opportunity, we might, you know. No, I, sure. If it's uh, if it's living, uh, it would certainly be with uh, Nick Vujicic. Uh, I'm not sure if you come across his work, uh, but when he was born, he was born basically without any limbs. Mm. And when the nurses gave him uh, to his parents, his parents didn't want to hold him uh, when he was first born. And it took him a lot of courage to be able to live in a world in which he was constantly bullied. Uh, in the schools that he went to simply because he had no limbs and needed extra support. But what he has gone through since then has been nothing short of incredible. To share his story with the world, to write countless books, to start foundations. He's now married, has uh, a number of children in his family. I mean, when you think of the beginnings that he started with, if I want to have coffee with anyone, it would first be him uh, because he knows uh, what it is like to experience true pain, but also how to respond in a world in which it cannot always be kind to you in the way you may expect. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. <laughs> great. It's uh, been great to have you on, Simon. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. Thank you. Perfect. So much, James, Very Harry, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod with Simon Alexander Ong. Boy, did he have some fantastic life tips for us to be more productive and happy, fulfilled. When you get a moment, if you loved our talk with Simon, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a quick review. Uh, we love all your messages. Um, it helps guide us for our future guests, but also helps us get exposure to inspire and share more stories with our listeners and new listeners as well as we grow. A couple of key takeaways that um, I absolutely loved from Simon today. One is, you know, be really intentional with, you know, be, be present. You know, how much, ask ourselves, how much energy are we giving to our family and friends, the folks that really matter, or even any situation. It could be a business situation. You know, let's not be distracted on our phones, you know, full, full attention, full focus, really be in the present, really work on that. I think that's really, really good advice. On a higher level note, how do we want to be remembered? Um, start with the end in mind. That will help frame our entire life, how, how we conduct our days, our business um, and our time with family and friends. Almost, um, yeah, how do we want to be remembered? That's quite profound really because quite often we're on a busy hamster wheel and never actually achieve the things that are really important you know even though they're right in front of us um, and a practical tip at the end he <laughs> suggested that we create a not to do list these not to do lists could be anything from working the weekend if you have a family scrolling mindlessly on your phone in bed you know it's going to be very personal to you but Simon was talking about you know if we have eight to ten not to do's it just gives us more space to focus on the things that really matter uh, which again, we can all start implementing those things. Never heard of that, so I really like that. Um, without further ado, quick thank you to our sponsor, Flexi. This is a single destination where you can find emerging direct-to-consumer brands, whether it's non-alcoholic beers, wines, you know, soaps, vegan pies, all of these run by you know entrepreneurs across the country and can be delivered to your door and, and kind of fit these replenishments around your lifestyle through a single dashboard have a one and oh flexi you can find flexi at flexiapp.uk that's f-l-e-x-y-a-p-p.uk have an amazing week ahead and we look forward to seeing you next time or or hearing you or <laughs> sharing stories next time take care bye-bye